0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Melissa Clark, and this is the Australia Votes podcast. It's official. Interest rates are going up. They were never going to stay at 0.1%, but it was always going to be a big moment when they were raised and now they have up 25 basis points. Given it's been more than a decade since we've had a rate rise, a whole generation of homeowners are about to experience rising rates for the first time. And while the government is confident that homeowners are prepared for this, might be the case in some parts of the country, but in Western Sydney, it might be a little more tricky to deal with this growing cost of
2: living. I'm sure there are some people who have built themselves a bit of a buffer, um, but I, I'm sure there would be just as many or more who are quite worried about what this rise might mean for them.
1: That's Kathleen Calderwood, who's worked in the ABC's Western Sydney bureau for the last four years. More from our conversation coming up. But first, welcome to my podcast co-host James Glenday. Hi, Mel. So. James, interest rates have gone up 0.1% now to 0.35% for the official cash rate target. It's a bit more than we were anticipating.
0: Yeah, it is, but the rise was expected. And uh, it means if you've got a half a million dollar mortgage, you'll be soon paying about $65 a month more. Another rise is likely in June. So in terms of the election, the government has been trying to prep the ground for this, saying that Australians are ready, that they've known rates would rise at some point, that they've built up buffers or fixed their interest. Rates and uh, the Prime Minister really has been trying to say this is not such a big deal. It's not about what it means for politics. I mean, sometimes you guys always see things through a totally political lens. I don't, and Australians don't. Now, some of his colleagues would dispute that, Mel, but in any case, it's worth noting that in November last year, this exact topic did seem to be about politics. Australia's economic recovery has to be secured by people who have a track record in economic management. Otherwise you're going to see petrol prices go up, you're going to see electricity prices go up, um, you're going to see interest rates go up. And now all those three things have gone up. The Coalition really wanted to campaign, I think, on the economy and national security claiming it was a better place to manage those two areas than Labour. But now with China's security deal with the Solomons, the increases to the cost of living, the opposition leader Anthony Albanese is simply saying to voters, don't listen to what the Prime Minister is saying. Just look at what he's actually delivering.
2: For this
1: guy to say that anything is not political, this is a guy who gets up in the morning
2: and what he has for breakfast is political.
1: Look, Scott Morrison certainly under the pump on interest rates. Uh, he's clearly got a, a strategy he's taking For the rest of the election here. We're tracking where he's traveling and what seats he's visiting to get a sense of what areas and what people they're targeting for votes. What do you make of their choices in recent
0: days? I think it is really revealing about the path that the coalition is trying to tread to win another term in government. It's not dissimilar to what he tried in 2019, though many would argue the task is much harder this time. He is hitting the outer suburban areas of the country. The coalition probably expects to lose a couple of seats in Western Australia. Maybe one is trying to hold as many as it can in Queensland. If it does that, it has to make up for that elsewhere. Its target is some parts of suburban Melbourne, certainly parts of suburban Sydney and uh, it's been really interesting to see Scott Morrison hit those areas a lot lately and in contrast to see him not in the inner city where uh, the government concedes it is under real pressure from some high profile independence. Uh, it's a really narrow path I think for the government to walk they concede that this is the case and that their chances might have been better a year ago but strategists argue that they managed it last time by defying the polls and they say well why can't we do it again.
1: We'll see if those choices are the right ones. Time will tell. Time will tell.
0: (laughs) Terrible cliches, but (laughs) it's true.
1: We're done now. Thank you. (laughs) Well, the interest rate decision is no doubt being watched closely in the outer suburbs. I'm joined by Kathleen Calderwood, who's worked in Western Sydney for the last four years. Thank you for being with me. Thanks for having me. Look, The government's leaning pretty heavily on this idea that households are ready for this rate rise, that they've made extra repayments during the pandemic or stuffed more into their offset accounts. Do you think that's the case in Western Sydney?
2: I don't. Um, It is a place where a lot of people have mortgages. It's a place where people often go to buy their first home. And I think that a lot of people uh, to do that in Sydney really have to stretch their finances. So I'm sure there are some people who have built themselves a bit of a buffer, um, but I'm sure there would be just as many or more who are quite worried about what this rise might mean for them. Uh,
1: I think particularly when we consider the fact that... if interest rates are going to get a bit tighter and, and maybe that's not quite as good news for the economy, the heat comes off the property market a bit, if property values drop, that could be the real trouble if people's loan-to-value mm. ratios fall down because even if you can manage the repayments, if suddenly a property's not worth what it used to be, that's where it can be really dangerous.
2: That's true. And I think anyone who's bought property in Sydney has bought into this idea that it's a safe investment, right? Yes, I am mortgaging myself a million dollars or more, but it's a really safe investment. When I sell this down the track, I'm going to make X amount more. But it is really interesting when you start looking at Western Sydney specifically, there's a lot of people there who are under mortgage stress. Uh, Some unsw research that was done towards the end of last year actually ranked the amount of financial stress that households were in by electorate oh
1: now this is going to be interesting
2: it was interesting and it found that in the top 20 electorates where borrowers were under the most financial stress five of those out of the whole country were in western sydney the highest one was in macarthur which is in southwestern sydney and that is an area like a lot of outer metropolitan areas where there are these huge housing developments where young, often young families go in to buy usually their first home. They're still attached to this idea of having the block with the big house and a bit of a backyard. So you see a lot of young people, there's you know a lot of facilities for children and and young people. Interestingly, that same electorate also ranked the highest for financial stress on renters. And uh, in the ranking of the top 20 electorates where renters were under the most financial stress, nine of those were in Western Sydney.
1: So this is why we see so much emphasis from the political leaders when it comes to cost of living issues, they often talk about Western Sydney. It's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? The Australian dream, owning Mm -hmm. your own home, a quarter eight a block and a hill's hoist in the backyard. But there still is a desire to have a home Mm -hmm. compared to... An apartment Mm -hmm. and also to stay near family.
2: Absolutely. So if you're someone who historically their family has lived in Western Sydney, obviously people want to stay close to their family. And I've even heard anecdotally that people who maybe are almost about to become grandparents are reluctant to downsize uh, because they're so worried about their children's prospects of getting into the housing market that they want to keep the big house in case the kids and the grandkids have to move in with them. Look,
1: when it comes to the Political view of Western Sydney. It, it, it is created as this lump that Western Sydney is this one thing and this one type of person we can get to. But we know of its multicultural diversity, but Mm. it's also got a lot of socioeconomic diversity as well. Do do you think there's some um, perhaps misunderstanding in Canberra Mm. of what Western Sydney actually is? Oh,
2: absolutely. And I think people in Western Sydney, they have a lot of pride in being from Western Sydney, but also a lot of people feel very strongly that there's a big difference between what is southwestern Sydney and what's Western Sydney, for one. The kind of communities that you might see in the northwest of Sydney are quite different to the communities that you would see in the southwest of Sydney. so there's...
1: How, how are they different? So... Can, can, can you encapsulate <laughs> that? Yes. So,
2: well, it's complicated. So if we take uh, Macquarie, for example, which is currently the most marginal electorate in the country, it was won uh, at the last election by a mere 370 votes by Labor's Susan Temple. People, your vote counts. Yes, a mere 370. <laughs> now she is again running against the Liberal's Sarah Richards. So that will be very interesting to see what happens there. But that's a fascinating electorate because it encompasses part of the Blue Mountains, which is largely uh, sometimes what people might call refugees from the inner west, people who are a bit more to the left of politics, but they can't afford to buy in the inner west of Sydney, which is very expensive, or perhaps they're wanting a tree change as they have a family. So they move up to the Blue Mountains where there's this bit of, you know, bohemian laid back kind of lifestyle. And then you go down to Windsor and uh, the Hawkesbury area, which is the other part of that electorate, which is economic. It's quite different. You've got a lot more sort of blue collar workers, and then some pockets of quite a lot of wealth as well yeah. around Windsor and those kind of areas. So you have parts of northwestern Sydney that are, are very Christian uh, orientated communities. You obviously have parts of southwestern Sydney that are, are very religious, but you know, Muslim and other religions. There are Sikh temples around Western Sydney too. So it, I- it is a very culturally diverse area, um, but also very socioeconomically diverse too.
1: We've seen Scott Morrison appeal to those faith communities uh, throughout his prime ministership, but in this campaign as well, and just this week we've seen him join uh, Eid prayers in mm-hmm. in Parramatta. Do you think that leaders like Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese are doing a good job with connecting, with those different parts of the multicultural community and how do they compare to the local MPs that are doing that as well?
2: Well, I think obviously Scott Morrison going to the Eid prayers yesterday, he has he not made a secret of the fact that he's a man of strong faith. So I do think he makes a, a real um, point or virtue of... of you know, using that to connect with other people, even if they're of a different faith. Um, from what I've heard, he was very well received at those Eid prayers yesterday and people might have seen uh, the video of a local woman who was pleading with him to help get her family to Australia from Afghanistan. So he does, uh, you know, really, I think, try and connect with people on that level. Anthony Albanese, perhaps less so, but he does talk about coming from a strong Catholic background as, as well. But certainly when you then go to the local members, I think they have a much stronger connection in, in that way. You have the likes of Ed Husick, who's a well-known member of the Muslim community. Um, some of the state MPs assist with that as well. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that any of the MPs who don't have a, a strong faith would, would still see the importance of that in that community and make a point of going to local services. Um, you know, you'll often see MPs, posting, you know, in the last few days, Eid Eid Mubarak for Eid, for example. So it is a really important and prominent um, part of life in Western Sydney. I know from
1: the point of view of the campaign headquarters, uh, Look, particularly from the coalition point of view, they're very worried about what their electoral prospects are in Western Sydney. They're worried about losing the seat of Reid, which Fiona Martin holds currently, and Labor's got a strong challenger mm, in, in mm. Sally C2 And Lindsay, they're worried about as well. Melissa McIntosh, uh, who you know, has, has got a decent margin in that seat, but they're clearly worried about losing that seat as well. Do you think it's a case of just there's a couple of seats here that are in play, or is a potential tide of movement here broader than that?
2: Look, I think it's quite interesting um, that there's been so much talk about. Western Sydney is going to be really key to this election because there's a lot of seats that are very safe Labor seats. You do have the likes of Lindsay, like that at the moment is held only by 5% by Melissa McIntosh. Um, As an observer, I do think she's made herself very visible, particularly as that area has been affected by flooding twice in the last year or so. I think Parramatta is interesting. We saw the Prime Minister there yesterday. It's only held by Labor on a margin of 3.5%. Julie Owens is retiring. She had a level of personal popularity attached to her. And of course, there was, you know, a bit of controversy about Labor parachuting in Andrew Charlton. Um, so, you know, that'll be uh, another one um, worth watching. And I think the fact that the Prime Minister was there yesterday shows that they think they've got a chance, and you know, it's clear that Labor fear you know, they think they cannot lose this seat. So, so that'll be uh, very interesting. And the other one that I, I'm interested in too is Fowler. Now, it's a very safe Labor seat. Chris Hayes held it by 14%, and they've put in former. New South Wales Premier Christina Keneally um, very in his place. Very controversially. Controversially uh, as well. She has moved into the electorate. But I, I've been interested to read in recent days that the deputy mayor from Fairfield, Dai Lee, who's running as an independent, I think she's a former Liberal mem- member of the Liberal Party, Party, I should say. That electorate has a very strong Vietnamese community and she's very recognisable, particularly because she played such a big role during the lockdown last year. So look, at 14% margin, Christina Keneally is probably going to be okay, but I do think it'll be interesting to see if Di Lee and and the Liberal contender Courtney Newen give her a bit of a scare there.
1: It's certainly a complex picture, much like Sydney itself. Mm. Kathleen Coldwood, thank you for giving us the benefit of your experience from years of treading the pavement in Western Sydney. Thank you. Thanks, Mel. The Australia Votes podcast will be back tomorrow. You can subscribe to this podcast on the ABC Listen app to keep up to date with all of the episodes. I'm Melissa Clark, and until next time, thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.